What's up, everybody? Coach Kate here, and I am so, so, so excited today to be talking about blood glucose. So this is something that, you know, we typically get to choose our own podcast topics, and it was something that Jen actually asked me to do, and I was really excited to do it because it's something that, truthfully, it just impacts every single one of us, and it's just, it's something that can impact not only your weight loss journey, but also your energy levels throughout the day, how fatigued you're feeling, if you're having any kind of brain fog, any types of cravings that you're having throughout the day. And we, when you can fully get control and manage your blood glucose, it does such wonders for your mental and physical health. Um, but more importantly, guys, I am so excited to introduce you to my lovely co-host. So guys, she is a second year medical student, which is pretty damn impressive in and of itself. Um, but she also has been diagnosed with diabetes herself. So she probably knows more about this topic than I do. And she is part of the Happy Life Squad. So to my knowledge, I think this is the first time we've ever had a client co-host a podcast. So I am so excited to introduce you guys. Jess, thank you so much for being here and talking today with me about blood glucose. Yeah, I am so excited to be here. I was stoked when Kate asked me if I could help co-host because obviously something that's very near and dear to my heart, having lived with type one diabetes for like 19 years now, I think. So um, it has obviously been a very big part of my life. And I think there is definitely something to learn about, you know, A, diabetes, B, just blood glucose in general for everyone. So excited to get into it. And I love that you said that too, because I, I do get asked all the time, like when I bring up blood glucose, like, is this truthfully just something that impacts somebody with diabetes? And it's definitely not. It impacts every single one of us. So I love that you included that in your intro as well, because it, it does impact every single one of us. So I wanted to start very basic and just kind of talk about what is glucose? What is <laughs> diabetes? Because I, I don't think those are common terms by any means. So putting it kind of in more simplistic terms, what would you describe glucose as? Yeah. So glucose, basically, if you are eating pretty much anything except for, I guess, maybe even just like straight chicken, but if you're eating anything, it has glucose. So it is like the very basic building block of anything that you're ingesting into your body. And it is used to then have energy. So you can keep going. Um, it, as you're, you know, literally chewing, swallowing, digesting, there's enzymes in your body that are breaking those foods down. And glucose is like the smallest molecule that it's going to get broken down into there. And then that glucose goes into your cells, gets used for all of the good things that your body needs to be doing. So, um, that is kind of the essence of glucose. I would say it gets a bad rap sometimes, but it is essential. You do need it. Um, so it, that is, uh, I guess what very basics of glucose, I would say. Um, and then diabetes is, so diabetes also gets a very bad rap. Um, there are different types of diabetes. So like I said, I have type one diabetes. Um, there's also type two, which I feel like is more commonly what people think of when they think of diabetes. Um, in general, diabetes is basically associated with higher blood glucose levels. So once you digest the glucose, it goes into your bloodstream um, and then with diabetes, there is a lack of insulin. So in type one diabetes, you do, do not produce any insulin. Um, and in type two diabetes, it's more of a resistance to insulin. Um, so an in insulin, the way I like to talk about it is kind of like a key and door situation. So insulin is the key that opens the door 
that allows glucose to get into your cells. So without insulin, the glucose pretty much just hangs out in your bloodstream and it can't do any of the good things that it's needed for. Um, but that high glucose level in your bloodstream is where you start to see some of the negative effects, um, whether that's short-term, long-term. And I think we're maybe going to get into that a little bit, but, uh, so yeah, so that's diabetes in a nutshell is pretty much you're eating, but your body is not able to process the food that you're eating adequately. So then you're not able to get that energy moving forward. Um, in type one diabetes, you right off the bat, start out with supplementing insulin. So I, I'm on an insulin pump currently started out on insulin shots way back in the day. Um, and then with type two and uh, type two diabetes, because like I said, it is associated more so with insulin resistance. Um, there's a lot of different methods to go about that. Um, it could be more of a lifestyle change where, you know, you're working on trying to exercise more, which helps to increase insulin sensitivity, or you're trying to watch your diet, eating low foods with a lower glycemic index, um, prioritizing protein and even healthy fats to, to help slow all of that down. Um, or at a certain point, because it is a resistance to insulin. So your body is producing more and more and more insulin to try to overcome that resistance. And at a certain point you can kind of tire those cells out. So they kind of just stop, kind of think of just like a, a puttering car going down the road. It can't go any further. Um, so at that point, then, um, there are, you know, medications that, um, I guess probably before you're fully out of insulin, there's medications that can help produce more. And then also then at that point, you might have to supplement insulin, either shots or pump something along those lines. That was absolutely such an amazing definition of both of them. I think you're a hundred percent right. I think both of them kind of do get a bad rep. And I think, you know, people come into the program all the time and they're like, oh my goodness, carbs are evil. Like we never want to eat them. Like we want to go keto. And it's so interesting to see kind of the, the impacts that a keto diet can have on somebody, because as you mentioned, like it is our preferred source of energy. And you need carbs, you too, to survive. <laughs> and just like to have this conversation, our brain cells are, are utilizing glucose to make sure that that's happening. So I, I love that you said that because it really does get such a bad rep and it shouldn't. Um, you also said something else that really intrigues me. And that was you had mentioned when you're having it just to, you know, almost kind of balance it out with a healthy fat or with a protein. So when you're talking about kind of looking at a holistic view of food and not only having a carb by itself, can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that and how that impacts your blood sugar levels? For sure. So, um, glucose coming from, you know, starches, carbs, what you think of, you know, pasta, um, potatoes, rice, those are kind of a little bit more on the simpler side. Um, eat anything like chips, popcorn, fruit, all of those things are going to pretty much immediately break down into glucose in your bloodstream. And it happens pretty quickly. Um, as it goes through the digestive system gets broken down pretty within honestly, like 30 minutes will be affecting you and you can start to see a blood glucose spike. Um, but hopefully if you're eating it with, um, like healthy fats or proteins, those things take a lot longer to break down. So as you're eating them and they're going through your digestive system, it's a lot more enzymes coming in, a lot more things happening to get them to break down. So it basically just slows the whole process down. So if you're eating, say some vegetables or, um, the skin with your potato, something that has higher fiber, something like that, you will have all of those extra things in there that basically slow that process down. So then as your body gets to breaking down the glucose, it is almost 
seeping out at a, a slower rate. So you see a much more dulled incline on that graph if you think of a big spike. So rather than having a huge spike up and a massive drop down that you're definitely going to be feeling within your body, um, whether that's, you know, feeling super lethargic whenever you get up to that peak of the spike or um, sometimes even like feeling nauseous or feeling just really brain fog, things like that, rather than having to get the whole way up to the top of that mountain, if you slow it down with some proteins or some fiber or some, you know, vegetables, things that are going to take longer to, to break all of that down. You're just kind of completely, it's going to be like a little hill versus having to go up the whole mountain. So it'll, um, slow it down, make it a little bit easier for your body to process all of those things together. And so then you're avoiding all of those negative symptoms that can be associated with it. That was amazing. Such a good answer. I, I read somewhere, I was looking at a research article the other day that just by changing the order of your food, it can impact your blood glucose levels by 75%, which is wow. <laughs> right. Like that's absolutely insane to me. And, you know, like Jess was saying, like really focusing on those complex carbohydrates first. So really focusing on getting those vegetables in, then getting the proteins and fats and kind of the final bit of that order is to then focus on the starches and the sweets. So that could even incorporate, like if you're thinking of fruit, having fruit at the end of your meal, because it, it is natural sugar, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still sugar. So you want to make sure to have that at your end of your meal. You did mention too, just kind of signs and symptoms. You were talking about brain fog. You were talking about you know, just different kind of signs and symptoms that you can have when it comes to having too many spikes with blood glucose. So what are kind of some of those short-term symptoms? Like for somebody that's like, I have absolutely no idea if I'm spiking too much, too little, like I, I, I'm so new to this topic and I just need to know, like, what are some signs and symptoms to look out for when it comes to too many spikes too quickly? What would some yeah. of those be? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, Honestly, the most common one is probably being lethargic, super tired and brain fog kind of go hand in hand. Um, I notice this as I'm, I'm a student right now. So I'm sitting at a desk studying for many, many hours a day. And if I um, see my blood sugar start to creep up or even start to have a spike, the first thing that goes is my ability to focus. I can't even think about what I'm trying to learn. I have to honestly take a break, go for a walk, do something to to help, um, a bring the blood sugar down and be just kind of let my mind relax. Cause I know it's not going to be <laughs> very uh, effective for me in that moment. Um, and so I would say that is probably the most common, um, sometimes, and this kind of goes more into symptoms of diabetes, whether that's type one or type two as well. A lot of times you see, um, excessive thirst, um, because your body's essentially just trying to wash the glucose out. So, uh, the more water you drink, the more likely you are to urinate. And so frequent urination is also a symptom because um, it's literally just trying to get the glucose out in any way possible. Um, and another kind of symptom that, especially at the beginning, if you have undiagnosed diabetes is people will even start to like smell sweet, which is the craziest thing to me because your body starts sweating glucose out. Like it gets so severe if your blood glucose is that excessively high. And granted, this is not the case for like most people who are not living with diabetes or, <laughs> or, or not undiagnosed diabetic. Um, but it, it can happen, which is crazy that the body like can take that great of a length to start to get rid of this. If it's, if it's that high in the body, because it can have such negative long-term chronic impacts as well. And so the body is like, all right, get this out of here. We need to get back to baseline. Um, but yeah, as far as short-term, I would say like feeling the initial 
you know, because again, glucose is energy. So whenever you first have that, you know, bowl of fruit or candy bar or bag of chips or whatever, that's going to give you that spike, you're going to feel great in the first like 15 minutes because you're getting all of that energy, but then give it another 15, 20 minutes. And you're already going to start to see the downside of that spike. And that's when it's really going to hit you. You're going to start to feel super tired. You're going to start to, you know, just want to go lay on the couch and not do anything. So that's definitely, um, I guess the negative sides of it and what you could see kind of very acutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, I feel like I was somebody when I was younger that struggled a lot with glucose spikes and didn't fully realize it. And I think a lot of people do. I think, you know, I've, I've heard from people that, you know, go to the doctor and they get diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. And it's, to me, it's almost like that's more of a symptom of something bigger and it well could just go back to your glucose levels. And it's, it's not a common thing to know about either. Like, it's not like common knowledge to know, like, you know, if I'm having something that, you know, the nutrition market is saying is healthy, but in reality, it's actually not like, how is that impacting my blood sugar levels? Even something like that's dairy free or gluten free or whatever. Like they have to have other synthetic things in there that are then causing that blood sugar spike as well, or something with no added sugar. That doesn't necessarily mean there's no sugar at all in it. It's (laughs) no additional sugar in it. And so, so it's it's so interesting to me how the nutritional market can can market things like that to people where it's like you Absolutely. might be doing something that's more beneficial in terms of calories but it's not beneficial in terms of just your overall blood sugar levels so when it comes to looking at it from a weight standpoint and it comes from okay like yes it it might be healthy in terms of one thing but not necessarily the other and it's you know it's saying it's zero calories it's saying it's zero carbs and you know zeros across the board but it can still cause a weight gain you had mentioned glycemic index uh prior would you mind just kind of explaining what exactly glycemic index is what that means how that can impact weight yeah So glycemic index is honestly, basically just how the foods that you are eating impact your, your glucose. So it's broken down into, I think like low, medium and high glycemic index. So at the lower end, you have things that aren't really going to have a major change. So that's, you know, vegetables, things, um, some fruits are down there. Some of them I would say are probably more in the medium, um, anything that, like proteins, anything that we were saying that's going to slow down that absorption process throughout your digestive tract. Um, then on the higher end, you have, uh, fruits more so like, you know, watermelon or things that are like basically just water and sugar. Um, and then candy chips, the more processed foods, things like that. Um, that those are basically just going to give you that huge spike very quickly. Um, and something that I also think is very interesting is, um, glycemic index versus glycemic load, because the load actually takes into consideration how much, um, how many grams of carb are in whatever the given food is. So say for watermelon, this was one that like blew my mind when I learned this because it has a very high glycemic index, but when you're considering the load of it, a cup of watermelon is like 15 grams of carbs. So you take that multiplied by the glycemic index and I think divide it by a hundred and you get a very low glycemic load because it has not that many carbs in it in general. Um, so that's also something to take in consideration because some things like, you know, potatoes or quinoa, rice, those types of things, even though they are probably mid spectrum there, they do have more carbs in them. 
Um, so all of those things kind of play a role in how they're going to impact your blood sugar moving forward. And I'm really glad you said that because I remember when I first learned about glycemic index and I remember sweet potatoes for forever has been one of my favorite foods. Like all <laughs> of my friends give me so much shit because she's like my favorite meal to make. And like whenever I'm making food for somebody, it's always salmon, sweet potato, always because I've just, I've mastered that meal. I know it well. It's healthy. I love it. But sweet potatoes have an insanely high glycemic index. And for the longest time, we've been told, like, it's a superfood. It's so good for you. It's all this vitamin A. It's so great for you. And so to look at it from two different perspectives and not only look at the glycemic index, but also the glycemic load, I think is so stinking important. Um mm. So guys, truthfully, you can find the glycemic index of any food. They're all online. Everything has some type of numerical value assigned to it. And like Jess said, it's kind of almost in one of three different sections. It's either 55 and less, 55 to 75 or 75 and more. So ideally you want to try to stick to that 55 or less. Um, you might go up to kind of that more medium category, but you're trying to reduce foods that are 75 or more as best as you can. Obviously, we don't want you to restrict anything completely, but, you know, just making sure you're understanding the impact that's going to have on your blood sugar levels, but also knowing that there are ways to manage that blood sugar level beyond just what the glycemic index is. Like we had talked about the order of food. Um, there's a lot of other things too that can help with that, like exercise. Let's talk about exercise and um, how exercise exercise can really impact that, that, uh, glucose spike in your, um, just in your food. Yeah. Uh, so exercise. And I think I told Kate about this in one of our calls once as a like 12 year old kid, I did a science project that was looking at the effects of insulin versus exercise on blood sugar levels. And I conducted an entire experiment on myself as the only, as the only candidate within it and took it to a science fair. And looking back on it, I just think it's hilarious that that was what my 12 year old self decided Such to a do. Future MD student, like truthfully, yeah. my science projects were nothing like that. <laughs> But, and also though, looking back, I'm like, damn, like she was like on top of it, you know, so <laughs> exercise really does have a, a pretty big impact on blood glucose levels. Um, because as you're exercising, you're using more energy. And so you're basically just rolling through that glucose a lot faster. So there's less of it in your bloodstream. Um, when you kind of boil it down to the very basics of it and because you're exercising, you're, you know, you're using all of your muscles, you're respirating more, you're sweating, like you're just doing so many things that your body is just burning a ton of calories and it needs a ton of energy to just keep going throughout that. You, you have to have glucose to be able to supplement that basically. Um, and so you'll, you'll see a pretty significant drop and it kind of depends also on what type of exercise you're doing, which was something that was honestly kind of difficult for me to wrap my head around. And when I was in college, actually, I was on the dance team. So I like grew up a competitive dancer my whole life, was on the dance team in college. And I was at like a division one university. So they had us through the athletic department and we were lifting with trainers and doing all of this stuff, which growing up a competitive dancer and studying like ballet and contemporary and all of these things, I had never lifted weights in my life. So I was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> um, and it is a much more anaerobic type of exercise. Um, so when looking at aerobic versus anaerobic, what that basically means is whether or not you're utilizing oxygen or not. Um, so aer aerobic exercise using a lot of oxygen, think, you know, cardio running, lower intensity workouts, where anaerobic is things that 
aren't necessarily using excessive amounts of oxygen because usually they're higher impact. So that is sprinting really fast, really short stints or lifting, um, heavier weights, doing all of those types of exercises. And when you're in an anaerobic exercise, you actually, your body can release glucagon at, because it is kind of in a, a position of stress and glucagon is another hormone kind of like insulin, but exactly the opposite. So it, what it does is raises your blood sugar. Um, and, in normal non-diabetic people that automatically happens, your body's kind of in a, a homeostasis of balancing insulin versus glucagon. And that's what makes your body function. Um, for a type one diabetic, my body does not really know when it should produce glucagon. So it, it gets a little bit wonky, but on top of that, when you're in a position of stress like that, your body can also release cortisol. And that is another hormone that can impact your blood glucose and typically is making it go up. Um, so when you're doing higher impact, like lifting weights or, you know, I would say that's probably the biggest one, but even like, again, like I said, high, high intensity sprints, sometimes you can see an initial uptrend in your blood glucose. And when I first started seeing this, I was like, what the heck is going on? Like I have been busting my ass in these workouts. And usually I have to eat a snack beforehand to make sure I don't plummet and have a low blood glucose. Um, but I was, you know, trending up the whole time. And by the end of the workout, my blood glucose was like 200, which is for a diabetic, you're aiming to be between about like 80 and 140 most of the time. So that's decently high, especially for after a workout. But I learned that that is pretty normal for that because your, your body is releasing what it has more because it knows that it's such an impact, um, on the body versus whenever you're doing lower impact stuff, you're, you're still, you're burning all of that up, but it doesn't feel the need to release excess. That's so interesting. Just like the different types of exercises and how much that can really impact that spike and that overall blood glucose in your body. Um, so when it comes to, you had mentioned earlier, just eating fiber and that kind of being like this almost like protective sheath when it comes to like, if you are going to have a carbohydrate, just essentially like naked for lack of a better term, like you're just going to eat a banana versus like eating something that's higher in fiber. Um, something that I've recently learned, which I just thought was so fascinating was that fruit over the years has gotten like just bigger in terms of size. It's also gotten less fiber. It's gotten just more of like synthetically made over the years, which is so unfortunate. Um, but because of that fruit has almost has like this, like people look at it as something that's not as healthy as what it used to be because it doesn't have that fiber. It doesn't have that protective sheath to protect you from that insane blood sugar spike. So when it comes to fruit, is it better to find fruit that has more fiber in it? I mean, I would say yes. And once again, back to like everything in moderation, if your favorite fruit is watermelon or a peach or something I, in general, if it has like a skin or seeds, something like that, again, it's going to take longer for your body to break down. That's typically the stuff when you think of higher fiber, if it doesn't have that, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. If it's your favorite fruit ever and you want it, I would say have it before a workout because then your body's going to use it right away. Or I would say, um, have a smaller portion of it along with a cup of yogurt or with some cottage cheese or something like that. Um, but on the flip side, if you love fruits that are higher in fiber, of course, go for that because it is going to just, you know, in general, slow everything down, try to avoid that blood, blood, blood glucose spike. And it's just gonna 
be better in the long term. But again, time and place for everything. And don't, there's no need to be cutting out your favorite fruit. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I love that answer. And I love how you kind of looped it back to like, if you can, like if you want to find something that's lower fiber, just try to mix it with something else because we really do try to focus so much on that and just looking at, you know, your meals from a more holistic perspective and, and not just having something by itself. It's not the end of the world if you do, but like just trying to pair it with something else. So like if you are a big fan of bread, you know, having a little hummus with your bread or something along those lines, just to kind of help that blood glucose spike from not being as extreme as it could be. Because the way Jess was describing it earlier, how it can be this graph, like it it can literally look like almost like this pyramid shape if it's just bread by itself, or it can be almost more like a bell curve if you're having bread with hummus or, or with something to kind of help dilute for lack of a better term, like that, that blood sugar impact and, and not having as big of a spike. So if you have the opportunity to find things with more fiber, that's awesome. But if you don't, like, obviously we don't want you to restrict your favorite things, just trying your best to pair it with something that can help kind of dilute that blood sugar spike as well. And something else, I know we were kind of talking about this earlier today, um, during office hours that I probably learned like a year ago, like it's been relatively recent is vinegar and how much that can impact your blood sugar levels. If you are having a type of vinegar, other than I, I butcher this every time I say it, balsamic vinaigrette, balsamic, but which one? (laughs) I say balsamic. I don't know. Balsamic (laughs) vinaigrette. Um, because that does have that added sugar, which is going to increase that spike. But if you're having like white wine vinegar or you're having apple cider vinegar, it can decrease that blood sugar spike by up to 30%. So if you know, you're about to have a really starchy meal, right? You're about to have some pasta, some white rice, you're going to Chipotle, you know, getting a burrito bowl, something like that. It's really beneficial to have some type of apple cider vinegar or white wine vinegar before um, having that meal. And if you're like me, I cannot handle the taste or the smell of apple cider vinegar. I know the benefits. I know it's so amazing for you, but truthfully, I just, I can't handle it. So I do like the little capsules and literally it's just, it, it's the liquid in the capsule and, and you can see where it screws. You can unscrew it. You can see the liquid in there, but it just, for me, that, that makes all the difference. Um, ideally you just want to try to stay clear of the gummies because they do have that sugar aspect as well. Has that ever been something that you've utilized at all? Like any type of like vinegar, whether that's like on a dressing or pickles or like a, putting it in like a mocktail. I've heard of that before or doing like the apple cider vinegar shots, like anything like that to help with your blood sugar levels. Yeah, I honestly have not tried that. And I was like shocked when you said that statistic today, like, cause that is so intense, honestly, especially for something as simple as vinegar. But, um, I will say something that I do try to do pretty often is when I know I'm having a higher glycemic meal, whether that's I'm having pizza or pasta, I'm Italian. Those are like my favorite foods. So I, I still incorporate those like all the time, but I will try to have a big salad beforehand And that typically has some sort of vinegar in the dressing because I usually will just do like a little bit of olive oil and vinegar on top, salt and pepper and some spices. So that kind of incorporates that unknowingly, but also helps with the, you know, order of the foods that you're eating. You're getting those vegetables in, you're getting that fiber in, you're slowing down that process, you're avoiding that spike. So that has been super helpful for me and doubly helpful because there's vinegar, I guess. (laughs) 
And I love that because whenever I do food review videos, I really try to like just hound on that as much as I can. Like anytime I see like a pizza or burger, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to incorporate that, that's awesome. But have a salad beforehand, even if it's like a little side salad, even if you're just like eating a tomato or some zucchini, I don't know. <laughs> like any type of vegetable you can get in beforehand because you're filling yourself up on that salad and then you're still allowing yourself to eat those types of foods like pizza, burger, like that shouldn't be something that's ever restricted. So I love that. It's kind of this like killing two birds with one stone of the order of food, but then also like having a nice like vinegar dressing on there. That's not balsamic vinegar that's <laughs> going to get you um, at kind of like a lower spike. And then one of the last things I was reading about was when it comes to breakfast. So this is something that I feel like a lot of times when people come in the program, they tend to skip breakfast for X, Y, Z reason. When it comes to breakfast, breakfast, the most important meal of the day, I would be so grumpy if I didn't eat breakfast. Like truthfully, <laughs> it is my absolute favorite meal. Um, I've always read that it's better to have savory versus sweet. And the reason being, I mean, obviously for that sugar, like you're having that immediate spike, but also when you have not eaten for the past like eight hours because you've been sleeping and then you like break your fast by you know, immediately having something sweet that's going to the bloodstream just so much faster versus if you have a savory, it's going to kind of slow that process down, kind of what we've been talking about. So um, if you could elaborate on that, if you have anything else you'd like to add in terms of like what your favorite things are for breakfast or how you feel in terms of savory versus sweet. Yeah. Um, so I honestly used to not be a huge breakfast person. As you know, Kate pounded into me that I needed to be better at yeah. breakfast. <laughs> So I am much better about breakfast now, which is good. I like wake up hungry and I'm so excited for it, but big um, win for me, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but yes, I mean, I love, I definitely have a sweet tooth. I love sweets, but even like if I'm going to breakfast or brunch with friends or whatever, and I honestly don't do this anymore because I felt so terrible afterwards, but if I get something that's, you know, pancakes or waffles or something like that, especially if you're out, there's usually no protein associated with it. Um, it usually comes with syrup, which is basically straight sugar. Um, that is going to cause a massive spike in blood glucose very, very quickly. And then you're going to crash very, very hard. And it's like, okay, you get up, you go to breakfast with the girls, you have this great meal, and then you get home and you're on the couch for the rest of the day and you wake up after a spontaneous nap and it's 4 PM and you're like, what happened? That is what I associate with sweet breakfast. And obviously, again, everything in moderation. So if, you know, split the pancake and get eggs or, you know, do something that you can still have a little bit, but get what you need out of the rest of the meal. But I definitely have had experience with the blood sugar spikes associated with sweet breakfast because, yeah, you're right. There's there's nothing else in your system to moderately slow that down at all. So it is basically just shocking your system with glucose. and your body's trying its best to get, to get it where it needs to be and to get what it doesn't need out. But at a certain point, whenever it's, it's that much, it, it can only do so much. Um, I, as far as what I eat for breakfast, um, I have become a big smoothie person, um, which you do have to be careful with because a lot of times people are like, Oh, smoothie. I'm just going to throw a bunch of fruit in and some ice and call it a day. And that itself is also going to, it's basically like drinking juice. <laughs> so, um, that in itself, you have to be careful with, However, I, um, put, you know, protein powder, I'll put a scoop of Greek yogurt in, I put my collagen in, I will throw a handful of spinach in or some, um, like frozen riced cauliflower sometimes just to add a little bit more like texture, I guess. 
um, blend all of that up. It's usually delicious. You know, sometimes <laughs> you try your best and you have a dud, but usually it's delicious. It's easy. I can take it on the go if I need to. I can sit in my office and do my schoolwork with it. Um, if I have like sometimes on the weekends, if I have a little bit of extra time, I've been getting into like protein pancakes a lot. So it kind of, you know, gets that sweet fix for me, but they're fairly low carb and very high protein. Um, so whether that's just, you know, making your own mix or um, finding a mix that is pre-made as long as it doesn't have a ton of, you know, additives in it and stuff. Um, but I'll do that and put like a tablespoon of peanut butter on top to get that healthy fat or almond butter. Um, I will do a little drizzle of sugar-free syrup just because I need something, but, or even sometimes I'll do, um, like frozen strawberries and put them over the stove. So they melt a little bit, make like, makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that it's like syrup. <laughs> um, and then some sort of like either like Canadian bacon or like even just like chicken sausage, something like that. So I'm making sure I'm still getting like a full meal and not just a pancake. So guys, I tell Jess all the time how like there are so many things that she says that just reminds me so much of myself. And this was like just so on point. Like I love protein pancakes. I love doing that. I'll put peanut butter on it as well. Sometimes bananas, sometimes frozen strawberries, like so many just similarities there. Um, but you can really make anything into something that's more protein dominant. And I think it just kind of boils down to like, if you can find yourself a unflavored protein powder, something that you can mix in there. One of my favorites is the vital collagen peptide protein. I feel like I am just like a sponsor for them for how much I talk about them, but like truthfully, like it's, it's just amazing because it has that impact of collagen, which is helping with that skin elasticity and just kind of that beauty aspect. But then it's also a nice protein and it's almost a complete protein. It's eight out of nine of the essential amino acids. So it's, it's really great from that aspect as well. And you can mix it in anything. It doesn't change the consistency. It doesn't change the taste. You can make these amazing protein pancakes, throw some peanut butter on them and make it more of a holistic meal as well. So I love that you added that in there. Um, I know we're running out of time, but I did want to end with just some kind of myths that I've heard over the years, like time and time again. And I just wanted your two cents on them. So the biggest one, and I get this literally all the time, is uh, glucose doesn't matter to me because I don't have diabetes. Um, so can you elaborate on that? Does glucose matter if you have yeah, diabetes or if you so don't? And I think I honestly might have said this at the beginning, and I'm going to bring it full circle again. If you're eating, you are using glucose and it matters to you. So I yeah. think that the faster everyone can get on board with that, the faster you're going to, you know, be able to see the positive impact of trying to regulate it through what you're eating. Um, food is fuel. Kate says that to me all the time. It's like my little mantra, especially whenever I'm, you know, having cravings or, or having wanting something that I know might not be the most nutritious option. I'm like, food is fuel. I'll have a little bit of something that I like, but all the rest of it will be what's fueling me. Um, but you know, it is fuel. It's, it's giving you the energy that you need. Um, it has a lot of positives to it. Obviously, if you're not eating glucose, if you're not getting those carbs in, you're, you're not going to feel like you can, you know, get through the day. It's kind of honestly, some of the, the effects of low blood sugar are very similar to the effects of high blood sugar. You still were, are going to get a brain fog. I get extremely shaky. I can't focus on anything. You might get even hungry because your body's like, Hey, what's going on? We need something. And that can lead to overeating. So there are a lot of, you know, positives and negatives on both ends of it. 
Um, but you want to make sure that you're getting enough glucose, that you, you have enough fuel to, to get through the day, to use your brain, your brain pretty much only uses glucose. And I think that's also extremely interesting because if you're not eating the glucose, your brain is not going to be functioning. You know, all of the women in the happy bod squad, happy life squad, or like all these badass women, like doing all of these things and have these really cool jobs and are, are raising families and have all of these amazing relationships and all of these things. You can't do that if your brain's not working. So you need to give your brain the fuel that it needs. Um, you need to, you know, just within moderation and give it the the healthy things, the the whole foods, the nutritious foods that are going to let it function, but not overflow it. And I love that. And I'm, I love that you added the low glucose as well, because I feel like we've hit so much on the high, but not so much on the low. And one thing I did really want to discuss with you is alcohol, because this is actually something I didn't know until I started my PhD program was how alcohol, I, I don't know why I just always assumed it would spike your blue, uh, glucose levels, but instead it actually lowers it. Like, yeah. It, it doesn't even maintain, it just lowers it. And mm-hmm. you almost think of that as a good thing, but it, it's not, right? It's, it's not great to be low in your blood glucose either. And just from kind of doing research and from being in my PhD program, just learning that, you know, you have these cravings from drinking because the craving centers in our brain are now activating because of that low blood glucose. And it makes you want to overeat. It makes you crave that junk food. So it, it totally was kind of this full, like almost like full circle moment for me to learn, you know, why that's happening. I'm someone that's like, I just love knowing why things happen. Like I will be motivated (laughs) to do something, but if you tell me the why behind it, it just, it makes so much more sense to me. So I always thought that was super fascinating because you know, that that's, that's the why that's the why behind why you have these cravings, especially for these processed foods is because your, your blood glucose is so low. You're, you're looking for these uh, foods that are just going to be higher in that serotonin and that, um, that more like simple carbohydrate. Yeah, for sure. That also blew my mind. And I learned when I started drinking very quickly that that's what happens. Um, And especially like when I was younger and probably not thinking things through the best and not taking the best care of my body. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, my insulin pump just fell off my chair here. Um, But I you'll, you'll see it. And it kind of also comes down to what you're drinking. You know, if you're just drinking, you know, a shot of vodka, a shot of tequila, that that's pretty much essentially lower glycemic index, pretty much just alcohol. You are going to see that drop in blood sugar. Um, I think of it as basically your liver is so caught up in trying to get the alcohol out of your body that it stops doing everything else that it's supposed to. And that comes back to glucagon. Like I said, the the anti-insulin that's going to raise your blood sugar that comes from your liver. And when your liver's caught up and trying to get all of those toxins out from the alcohol, it literally just stops even worrying about the glucagon. So anything else is, you know, you're just, your blood sugar is going to go down. Um, so, and it can, it can definitely be pretty severe too, especially if you, if you are a diabetic or, um, if you haven't eaten in a while, like you definitely will f- see and feel the symptoms. Um, and it does then, you know, lead to those, um, cravings after the fact, which obviously we want to avoid as well. Um, but then things like, you know, beer, wine, mixed drinks, those have carbs in them, especially if you're having like a fruity mixed drink with juice, stuff like that. So you also have to keep in mind that, you know, you're then having things that are higher glycemic index. Um, they're going to spike your blood sugar. So then it almost makes it even worse and compounds the problem because you're seeing an initial, 
high spike up because you have all of those carbs and then low spike down because those carbs are wearing off. And then your liver is not able to compensate either. So it's an even lower drop down. And that, you know, leads to all of those terrible hangover feelings, the cravings for the food, all of that stuff on top of the fact that a hangover itself is literally withdrawal from alcohol in a very, you know, small setting. So um, there's a lot going on there, but that all compounds to just make you feel a lot worse after drinking. And just like full circle moment too, that also goes down to like, just boils down to that low dopamine as well. If you want to listen back on that dopamine podcast, but truthfully, like when you drink, you know, you're getting that spike in dopamine as well. And then you're just going below baseline. Like you're not going to baseline, you're going significantly below it. So you have these hangover symptoms, but then you're also feeling just very flat, very low because your dopamine is below that baseline. You don't feel motivated. You just want to lie in bed and you want to watch Netflix and you just want to do literally nothing throughout the day. And that is because of that dopamine level as well. So I love that answer from you. You are just like so scientific and I love that. Um, I have three more for you. So uh, the next one is anything from fruit is going to be natural and it's going to be healthy always. So when I was researching this, what I thought was really interesting was that your body can't differentiate different types of sugar. So whether it's fruit, whether it's Coke, it it's still sugar at the end of the day, but it's more about kind of like the envelope that it's in and kind of how you are protecting it. Like going back to that fiber, right? Like if you're having fruit that's high in fiber, it's going to decrease that blood uh, uh, glucose spike versus if you were to have a Coke, you don't have any fiber in that. You're not able to decrease that blood sugar spike. So would you be able to just kind of like elaborate on that and just talk about like anything from any type of fruit, obviously, <laughs> mainly healthy, sugar is healthy. Like just talk to me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like you said, your body can't differentiate because as it goes through your digestive system, by the time it gets to the point of being absorbed into the bloodstream, it is glucose. Like whatever it starts as it's going to be glucose. Um, that is like the smallest thing that it can break down to. So that's how it gets into your body to be used for your metabolism. Um, so it doesn't care really at that point, if it, if it came from Coke or if it came from, you know, quinoa or whatever, but how it gets there is a different story. Um, and as a, a rule of thumb, usually if it's something in liquid form, it's going to act a lot faster. So that's fruit juices, um, from like even smoothies, like we said, with, with it, without any, um, protein or fiber or anything added in those things are going to hit really, really fast just because they're already in liquid form. So it's less for your body to break down and it pretty much immediately is going to get absorbed. Um, and that's why for me as a type one diabetic with my blood sugar is low and I need to treat it, I'm drinking a juice. Um, next step, fruit snacks, same thing, going to get into your blood system very quickly. Cause there's nothing else in there except for sugar and gelatin pretty much. So, um, those are going to absorb really quickly and get into your bloodstream. So those are good for things like right before a workout, um, even other, other fruits as well. Like I usually will eat, um, little like clementines a lot right before my workout. Cause I know that they're going to hit within 20 minutes and I can, you know, use that. I don't even have to give myself any insulin for it because the exercise does its thing. Um, so those things are going to act really quickly. Um, then you get into actual pieces of fruit. Like I said, with the skin typically is going to have more of that fiber content. Um, but I, I mean, fruit itself is not inherently healthy. It is it, glucose, it's sugar. It's, um, but I would say it's probably healthier than reaching for a candy bar, you know, because it has, it is natural and it, it has less going on in it than if you look at the ingredients on a candy bar, but 
Um, again, it comes back to everything within moderation and looking at the whole picture of what you're eating with it and what you ate that day. And, um, just trying to make sure that you're getting all of the nutrients you need out of whether it's a meal or a snack or whatever. And I actually, I don't know if you ever heard of the glucose goddess. No, I haven't. Okay. So look her up on Instagram. She's amazing. She is this French biochemist and she just like went on this just path to find like the best way in order to like utilize glucose in the best way possible. And she has all these hacks for helping to just manage glucose. And something she speaks a lot about is eating whole fruit because when you are blending it up, the problem is that you are almost pulverizing that fiber. And I did not know that. Like they never taught me that in my PhD program. That wasn't anything I learned. And then I hear that from her and I look it up and I'm looking at all these research studies that support that. And that when you are blending up fruits, it's actually getting rid, not getting rid, but significantly decreasing the fiber in it, which I just thought was so interesting because like, you know, you think of like fruit smoothies as a good thing, right? You're still getting like all those vitamins and minerals, which you are, but you're not getting the full fiber, which is not giving you that protective sheath of helping from that blood sugar spike, which I just found to be so fascinating. Anyhow, yeah, that was that, question. I just wanted to add that. <laughs> yeah, that is super interesting. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because I mean, if you just think of like the digestion process from start to finish, like it starts as soon as you put something in your mouth, like the first step is mastication to, to chewing, to, to break something down because then it's easier for your saliva to come in and let those enzymes break it down. And then you swallow it and there's enzymes coming in from all angles of your intestines. And that's how it gets it down into that, that small glucose molecule. So it kind of just, I guess it's like a baby bird starts the process for you a little bit. Such a true MD student. You're just getting so scientific with like breaking (laughs) down of chewing. I love it. Um, Okay. So I have two more for you. Um, This next one, actually, both of them are kind of near and dear to my heart. So this next one, vegan, keto, gluten-free, dairy-free, no sugar added, organic, always healthier, always. So that is a big myth that drives me nuts when I hear it. Um, In terms of what it's doing to your blood glucose. So like, let's look at like gluten-free, for example, is that impacting your blood glucose any more than just a normal gluten meal? Like, does it, how is that looking when it comes to just being healthier or not healthier? Yeah. From, I mean, from my standpoint, not a huge difference in what it does to your glucose, honestly. I mean, there's still carbs in it. It's still breaking down to that glucose molecule. It's still getting used for energy, even if it's not gluten per se. Um, And I I think that kind of goes for all of them. Like, even if you might be taking one thing out, it's probably having about 10 other things added in to make up for the fact that that one thing wasn't there. So when you're looking at a a lot of gluten-free things, they have a ton of sugar added into them, a ton of just additives and stuff in general. And those are going to spike your blood sugar. Usually they have higher glycemic indexes. Um, a lot of times they, because they're stripped of the gluten and stripped of a lot of things, they don't have as many of the nutrients. It's very dependent. And obviously if you need to eat gluten-free and you have some sort of intolerance or you have celiacs or anything like that, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But if that is not a necessity for an actual condition that you have, I personally don't necessarily see the absolute benefit unless it's something that you personally like love to eat gluten-free food, which typically it's not quite as good, but you know, you never know. (laughs) 
I remember when I was younger and I went to the Boulder Farmers Market and Boulder, Colorado is just it's very much known for, you know, they're they're very like granola, so to speak. Like it's very <laughs> like gluten free, dairy free. Like that's just how they are. And I remember at the farmer's market, there was this one tent that was gluten free and they had the most amazing cakes and pies and breads and all this stuff that was gluten free. And it tasted absolutely amazing. And I feel like we both grew up in this generation where it was like, gluten is bad. Carbs are bad. Dairy is bad. Like all the above is bad. Like you should completely restrict it. And when I was younger, I would like live at this tent. I loved it. Like it, like the food literally to me tasted just like bread should taste like, but exactly what you said. It's like, you're, you're taking out gluten, but you're just essentially adding more chemicals and some type of synthetic in to replicate the taste of gluten and to replicate what gluten does. And that's not necessarily a better alternative. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I was reading this study the other day of um from Arizona State that was saying we're looking at wheat pasta compared to this like corn, rice, gluten free type pasta. And what was so interesting to me was that the gluten free versus the gluten, um, the gluten actually caused or I'm sorry, the gluten free caused a 57 percent higher spike than the gluten because of all of those synthetic additives into it. Like I, I just, I wouldn't have guessed that I would have thought that it would have been lower. So to me, that was just like mind blowing to hear, like, obviously what you said, you know, if you are someone that's gluten free, it's, it's completely okay. But if, if you're not, and you're looking at this as this should be the healthier option for me, it's not always right. Because at the end of the day, you know, gluten's a protein and protein's going to help just kind of decrease that glucose spike in and of itself. So anyhow, I thought that was super interesting, but, um, last one. And this one was something that just like irks me every time I hear it. Ozampiac. Let's talk about it. Um, because I, I heard this the other day, someone was telling me that they started it. They don't have diabetes. They started it simply for weight loss. And that just like hurts my soul. So tell, like, just, you know, tell me for those who don't know what it is or, you know, what it does or what it's for, um, just your knowledge on it. I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Yeah. So I have also heard this a lot and I am not going to lie. I get a little bit fired up just because you know. again, as, as a, a type one diabetic who is on insulin therapy and also like has now seen a lot of especially type two diabetic patients, whether it's in clinic or whatever, um, this topic is very frustrating to me and along with, uh, continuous glucose monitors, which I will touch on in a moment, but, um, the, as far as Ozempic, um, in general, so it is a drug that was started out as a, a diabetes medication. It helps to lower blood glucose levels. That's what it's used for. That's what it was prescribed for. Um, but along with that, it, they started to notice that it helps with weight loss. And in general, a lot of times whenever you, this is not always the case, but a lot of times when you have, especially type two diabetic patients, they struggle with, um, weight gain, obesity, all of that. Um, that's a predisposing factor to developing type two diabetes. It also makes management more difficult. And it also kind of gets exacerbated by the fact that insulin in and of itself can actually increase fat storage. Um, so it's whenever you're having to utilize a lot of insulin or in a scenario of producing a lot of insulin, because you're insulin resistant, you can actually gain weight because your body is predisposed to storing fat, uh, more so than if you have regular levels of insulin. Um, so it was kind of a win-win when it comes to treating type two diabetes, because it's lowering your blood glucose levels and it's helping to lose weight, which in turn 
helps you gain back some of that insulin sensitivity, which in turn helps you just lose more weight. So it's just, you know, it's a, a good positive circle. But then because people saw how positive it was working for weight loss, it started to get used just for weight loss for people who don't necessarily need it for diabetes. So it's, you know, a quick fix. It works. I, my understanding of it is that it works for the most part for weight loss, because it starts to decrease hunger, um, cravings or not cravings, but like hunger, um, signals. So you're not hungry as much. You're not eating as much. You're losing the weight. Um, that is great theoretically, but if you don't need it for, you know, diabetes, a, it is then getting taken away from people who do need it for diabetes because there's a shortage of it in the country. Now it's very difficult to get a prescription and people are paying out of pocket for it. So people who cannot afford it can't get it. Um, that's my little soapbox with that, but on the actual like scientific side of it, it is what it's something that once you start it, then in my, you know, understanding of it, it's kind of messing up your metabolism a little bit. It's working for you, but then your metabolism is getting confused because it's not getting any of those, um, you know, signals for hunger. So it doesn't know when it's hungry. So say you then stop taking it for whatever reason, because ideally you're not taking this medication for the rest of your life. You lose your 25 pounds or whatever it is. And then you're like, great, I'm down. I'm good to go. You stop. And then you're probably going to immediately gain all of that weight back because your body is just so confused about what is going on. Um, so it's a quick fix, but it also, I just don't think is realistic as far as maintenance and keeping off the weight. And again, it's just not necessary in my opinion for people who, who don't need it. Um, and like I said, also continuous glucose monitors. I, that has been a big thing. I have been seeing so many Instagram ads and all of these things for all of these glucose monitors that have now been, been uh, marketed and hit the system as tools for weight loss and tools for exercise regimens and tools for training, which I am a person. I love having all the data at my hands. I have a continuous glucose monitor to monitor my blood sugars. And there have been times where I probably would could have ended up in a coma if I did not have it. So it is something that is like for diabetics. I think every diabetic should be entitled to having one. The reality of that is not everyone is they're extremely expensive depending on what your insurance is. And that's, you know, American insurance is a huge issue, but depending on what your insurance is, a lot of yeah, that's like a (laughs) ten of the podcast. (laughs) Um, depending on what your insurance is, a lot of people cannot get them, and I have seen firsthand people who would do so much better with them and just can't get them. Um, so the fact that now they are being marketed to people who don't necessarily need them as something that you can just see what's happening, you know, when you eat, when you exercise, all of that jazz sounds, you know, at you know, face level sounds amazing, but realistically your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. If you have no inclination that you have excessively high blood sugar or excessively low blood sugar, your body's going to take care of it for you and you don't really need to see it. And it can honestly foster almost more of a negative mental spiral about it because your blood sugar is going to spike. Even if you do all of the things that we talked about for the last 35 minutes or whatever, your blood sugar is still going to spike immediately when you eat food. That's just what happens. But then your body takes care of it. Um, But if you see that initial spike, if you eat an apple or if you eat pasta and you see that initial spike, it's very easy to be like, oh my gosh, why is my blood sugar so high? What's going on? Is there something wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong with you. You know, it's, it just is doing its job. It's just doing its thing. So, um, 
another thing that I think is is not necessary not necessary for people who don't need it. <laughs> And I love how much you incorporated with that answer. I love that you incorporated specifically when it comes to your metabolism and kind of it working well. You have these two main hunger hormones and it's going to be leptin and ghrelin and they they need to work well together. One suppresses your appetite and one increases your appetite. And if they're not working well together, that means your metabolism's kind of out of whack. And I know if you're on my roster, I probably like talked about this so much. It's like tattooed in your brain. But truthfully, a lot of people that come into the program, they've been yo-yo dieting for so long that their metabolism is just all over the place. And a lot of times it boils down to leptin and ghrelin not working well together. And when that happens, one of the first things that you lose is going to be your hunger cues. So if you're going throughout the day and you're not feeling hungry, like you wake up in the morning and you could skip breakfast every day and you could skip lunch and you're just, you're not feeling that hunger cue, probably more likely than not leptin and ghrelin aren't working well together, which means it's just kind of for lack of a better term, just screwing up your metabolism. So I'm really glad that you added that in there because truthfully your metabolism, it's just looking for this homeostasis. Like that's all it wants to do is kind of find this balance and it will find that balance with managing your blood sugar. And when you manage your blood sugar, exactly like what you said too, like you're, you're not ideally looking for this like baseline and zero across the board, because every time you eat, you are going to spike your blood sugar. But it's like, how big is that spike going to be? You can manage how big that spike is going to be. You don't want it to be like this, like roller coaster, because that's going to impact you for the rest of the day. So if you're somebody that wakes up and you feel very reliant on caffeine, because you just have this kind of like mental fogness and fatigue, and you're just more lethargic throughout the day, or maybe like it can impact your mental health too. Like if you're somebody that, you know, struggles with depression and anxiety, I'm not saying this is that this is the cure, but I'm saying this could certainly help is making sure that you are managing your blood glucose levels. So with that being said, Jess, I so appreciate your time. Is there anything else you would like to add in terms of blood glucose before we sign off? I don't think so. We we covered a lot, but also like if anyone has any questions, like seriously message me on Slack. I love talking about this clearly. Um, it's it's something that I've lived. Oh my gosh, I'm throwing pens. I've <laughs> I've lived my whole life with this. Um, I uh have taken the time to learn a lot about it just because I know it impacts me and it's something that is so prevalent within whether type one, type two diabetes, so prevalent in the United States or just, you know, glucose in general, how eating affects your body, um, things that are all very interesting. So yeah, just feel free to message me. I'd love to chat. <laughs> Jessica Finelli, guys, please feel free to reach out to her on Slack, especially if you love this podcast. If you do have any questions, like she truthfully, she wants to educate, which I absolutely love. Uh, when Jen asked me to initially do this topic, like I just constantly was like, what resources do I have? And it's like, we've never asked a client to be a co-host before. And like instantly I'm like, I want to ask Jess. I really do. And I'm just hoping and praying she will say yes. So thank you so much for coming on. Truthfully, I it means the world to all of us. And I just know that you educated everyone that's listening so much just by everything you had to say. And guys, again, please send her some love and also remember her name because she's going to be on more podcasts, whether she knows it or not, she's coming back to co-host a couple more. So Jess, thank you so much for being here. Truthfully appreciate it so much. Of course. Thank you for having me.